Concierge medicine is a growing phenomenon, and it seems likely it will play a significant part in the future delivery of professional medical services. There are, however, significant legal issues concerning these arrangements. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Joining me today is Mr. Robert Portman, a partner with the law firm of Powers, Pyle, Sutter, and Verville, who represents physicians, hospitals, and other healthcare providers. Mr. Portman, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Kaskill. I'm delighted to be here. It seems that many primary care physicians are going concierge or forming retainer practices, VIP medicine, whatever you want to call it. But are there differences between the types of practices or are they all pretty much the same structure? Well, these concierge practices, often they're often called boutique practices, boutique medicine, retainer practices. They really come in all shapes and sizes, and that's actually one of the reasons why I personally think they are a, a good thing for medicine. They are indicative of the, the wide variety in which medicine is being delivered in this day and age and really a necessary evolution of medical practice in this day and age based on the various pressures that are being put on medicine. You know, as you know, reimbursement has become a, a very big issue for, for physicians. <laughs> every now and then, yeah, you hear about that, that every year Congress is playing games with physician reimbursement. Private payers are ratcheting down reimbursement. And at the same time, you've got pressures with medical malpractice and higher administrative costs for physicians. So there are all sorts of pressures on them, and they're looking for ways to provide better services and also to maintain a decent living. Let's say a physician is thinking about considering going concierge. Must he terminate his or her contracts with all commercial third-party payers? Actually, no. Certain types of practices would have to consider doing that. And when we talk about, just to sort of define our terms a little bit, when we talk about concierge practice, again, they come in all shapes and sizes, but the commonality of them is that they all tend to charge an upfront fee, sort of a subscription fee, and they provide a certain level of services. Now, the key is what kind of services are they providing? Most of them are going to be providing better access, more frequent access, 24-hour calling access, emails. Some are providing spa-like amenities where you can come in and get special kinds of treatment, whether it's massages or other kinds of things. And then uh, many of them are actually providing a defined level of medical service. It's the practices that are providing the defined medical service that may have to terminate their contracts with third-party payers, whether it's Medicare or private payers, if those services are overlapping with services that are already covered by those payers. Now, when you create a contract with your new patients, is that something that you recommend is necessary? And if so, what really should be in that patient-doctor agreement? Well, actually, you, you do have to have an agreement. If you're going to be charging an upfront fee, you have to have an agreement that makes it very clear that the patient understands that they're being charged that fee and what they're getting for that fee and that the patient needs to understand whether or not you're accepting insurance and you know what the exact terms of the arrangement are. And so you, you really do need to, to define that upfront and make sure that the patient understands what they're getting into. That is extremely important. I have at times terminated patients or fired them from my practice. And can you talk a little bit about the risks that concierge doctors will run into when they start kind of narrowing their practice, what they need to do to avoid abandonment issues? 
Sure, and that's a really important issue. And another major feature of concierge practices is that they typically involve a smaller pool of patients. Just as an aside, the typical primary care physician may have a patient inventory of 3,000 patients that they see on a regular basis. A typical concierge practice may be anywhere between 300 and 600. And so you can imagine there could be a substantial number of patients that are not going to want to join the practice or are not going to be invited to join the practice as a member. But yes, every state has abandonment laws where physicians generally don't have an obligation to take a patient on, but once they do, they have an obligation not to abandon them, particularly not in the middle of a serious episode of care. So A, you have to make sure that the patient is stable and isn't actually in need of your care on a daily basis. For example, someone who's in the hospital receiving follow-up care from surgery, that would not be a good time to tell them you're not going to see them anymore. But a patient who's you know coming in on a sort of periodic basis, one once a year or a couple times a year, and you've determined that they're not going to be part of the practice, you need to send them a, a letter and explain what the changes are in your practice and why you're no longer able to see them, and hopefully give them some options for where they can go for alternative care. So, A, make sure they're stable and there's not an emergent condition, and second, make sure they understand that you're not going to be able to see them anymore and give them some options. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and my guest today is Attorney Robert Portman. We're talking about the legal issues of a concierge practice. Mr. Portman, what if a doctor goes concierge and still wants to see some of his non-concierge patients? Does he have to create two separate corporations? Not necessarily, although there is some precedent for doing so. And that is, again, you know, we talk about all shapes and sizes. There are practices that are exclusively concierge and others that that will see other patients and just have a carve-out for their subscription-based patients. And that can be done within a single practice. There are some precedents for practices setting up two groups, one that's a PC that provides the normal medical services and another that would be, in one case, an LLC, which is another form of corporate structure to just provide the concierge services. And the reason that that has been done in the past is, again, there is, and we may get into this later, but one of the legal issues involved in providing concierge medicine is that you have to be very careful not to provide services that are already being covered by insurance. So this is a way of really clearly bifurcating your practice into those services that are covered by insurance and those that are not. So you put those that are not covered by insurance in one part, in one corporation, and those that are covered in another. Problem is, it's not not always so easy to put them each into separate boxes. So it is something that some practices have done. It's not absolutely necessary, though. Talk to me a little bit about what happens with Medicare patients. Do you have to opt out, and what does opting out even mean? The question about whether you have to opt out is one that requires a little bit of background, and that is that Medicare gets real sticky about the services that are provided to their patients and what physicians can charge. Doctors actually have to sign an agreement, as most of your physician listeners know, have to sign an agreement with Medicare in order to provide the services, and uh, there are certain levels of care that are provided or commitment that are made to the system, but the general rule is that the physicians can't charge more than a certain amount to Medicare patients, and they have to submit all 
all their claims to Medicare, even if they're not part of the system. So it's a very rigorous, highly regulated system. And if you are doing concierge practice with Medicare patients and you're providing medical services as part of the concierge fee that you consider not to be Medicare services, you have to be really careful that Medicare agrees and doesn't think that you're providing covered services because if you are, they can really slam you with penalties and exclude you from Medicare. So if you are in a concierge practice that wants to provide medical services, the safest thing to do is to opt out of Medicare, as you mentioned. And opting out of Medicare requires the physician to opt out for two years, sign an affidavit that says, I will not submit any claims to Medicare. I will not you know, seek reimbursement for any claims. I will not treat any Medicare patients without telling them that I'm out of Medicare. So you have to sign that affidavit, and the patients also have to sign a contract that says that they understand that their physician is not a Medicare physician, that they are responsible for all the charges that they will not be able to submit their claims to Medicare or to Medigap for that matter. So it's a big decision, and it's one that you have to live with for at least two years. Rob, where is your law firm located? We are in the heart of Washington, D.C. How many docs are you seeing actually do the conversion? The numbers right now are relatively low. It's like less than 1% of the practices are actually making this conversion, but they are growing. So we're looking at several hundred at this point out of you know several hundred thousand physicians are actually doing this. But I think what you are seeing is that in increments, practices are doing innovative things, whether it's going completely concierge or providing additional services that they consider to be non-covered. Almost every doctor is now looking for ways to get around some of the troubles that they're finding with reimbursement systems and, and the like. You talked earlier about the fears of penalties. So has anyone been penalized? Is there a case pending or has there been any cases settled that have gone after a physician in a concierge practice? As far as we know, there's only one case involving the Office of Inspector General of HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, where they actually did go after a concierge practice claiming that that practice had charged patients an additional fee, a retainer fee, for what the Office of Inspector General considered to be covered services, and they settled for an undisclosed amount. The thing that was really disturbing about that case is that it wasn't really clear what the OIG meant by covered services. You know, we're talking about things that were as innocuous as, you know, providing extra time for the patient. Well, you know, is that covered or not? You know, so that particular case has really caused a lot of uncertainty about whether concierge practices can treat Medicare patients and provide them with medical services in addition to what's covered by insurance. You are in the Capitol. Are you aware of any federal legislation that's pending that has to do with concierge medicine? There isn't any now. There have been several bills that have been introduced trying to limit or prohibit the charging of additional fees to Medicare patients, nothing outside of Medicare, but there's been some legislation that was submitted about two or three years ago in both the Senate and the House. But so far, nothing has gone beyond the introductory stage and nothing is pending right now. What do you advise your clients that are thinking about doing this? Do you ever say, listen, just charge the retainer fee and don't even deal with the insurance companies anymore? That is certainly something that you're finding happening throughout medicine now. I, I know from personal experience in switching plans and trying to find a new doctor that will accept health insurance at this point is getting to be a very difficult proposition. So certainly that's a growing trend that doctors' practices are just not accepting insurance. To me, I mean, part of the desire to go concierge would be to 
not have to deal with the headaches of filing claims and chasing down money. So it, it seems a little crazy, these hybrids where they're charging a retainer and they're still billing insurance, and so they're not really getting out of that insurance racket. It does seem counterintuitive, but at the same time, I think you can attribute that to the general good-natured character of physicians and their commitment to their patients. It's not an easy proposition to tell half your patient load you're not going to see them anymore. So this is, I think, it's a transitionary phase for some practices and for others, it's just a personal compromise that they make that I don't want to, in the non-legal sense, I don't want to abandon my patients. I feel a commitment to them, but I also feel like it's within my obligation and also my discretion to have a higher level of care for those who want to pay for it. So I think that's how you would explain the hybrid practices. Well, Robert Portman of Powers, Pyle, Sutter, and Verville, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. We'd love to hear from you, so please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library of shows with on-demand podcasts. You can also reach us by phone now with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thanks for listening.